Welcome to another episode of Mental Health Mondays. We are on episode number 12. Oh my gosh, so exciting. What we do at Mental Health Mondays is talk to professionals either in the mental health world or somebody who experiences or lives with a mental health challenge or mental health advocates. And today, my special guest is Dr. Courtney Conley. Hopefully I said that right, but I'm going to bring her on. Uh, hi, Courtney. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to, to come on the show. Yes. And I hope I Conley, right? Did I say yes. that right? Okay. Yep. <laughs> Um, so tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What do you do? I work mostly with adolescent females and young adult women. Um, there's a component of that where I obviously also work with parents. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of my um, specialty. So I'm a licensed uh, clinical professional counselor. And then I'm also uh, an author and a professor at a college. So I teach uh, master's level uh, counseling students as well, how to um, do this work. So, wow. So you have a lot on your plate. <laughs> a lot, but it's fun. Yes. That's awesome. So I know when you and I originally talked, I was really drawn to you, especially both of us being in the mental health world, but also your work that you do with teens and adolescents. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting because as I have specialized and leaned into that niche even more, um, I've come to be able to really understand their world a lot better uh, and be able to kind of navigate what they're going through, you know, so much better. Um, so because I, I started out as I started out. Um, I've always kind of worked with kids or families in some capacity or another. Um, so I did start out doing like community-based uh, mental health work. I did like some in-home therapy and then I worked at a crisis center. Um, and then I got into the world of school counseling and was a high school counselor for six years and a middle school counselor for two years. Um, and then I left, uh, you know, I left that all together to start teaching in higher ed, but I was missing actually doing the work with my clients. So I came, started a small practice and, and started initially when I started my practice, I said, oh, I want to do something different. Maybe I'll just work with adults. And it was kind of funny because within the first couple of months, my practice was like flooded with teenagers. And I was like, okay. <laughs> So that's a sign, um, you know, from the universe that I need to continue this work. So um, it's really interesting and, and I honestly love it. And one of the things, one of the biggest things that I've seen that, like I said, of a, as I've leaned into this work even more and more and listened to a lot of the teenagers that I help support, one of the themes that I have seen really has a lot to do with identity because they're in that just such a challenging phase of life where they're trying to navigate who they are and establish their identity. And so I've found that I see a lot of teenagers for depression, anxiety related um, type of symptoms. And one of the most important things that I've realized is that no matter what they're coming to me for, this identity piece is something they all seem to be struggling with. 
And so I've kind of stepped back even a little bit from directly kind of treating the anxiety and the depression first and focused and zeroed in on how they feel about themselves and their identity and, you know, how how confident they are or how self, you know, how much they accept themselves and really leaned into that piece. And when we do that and we work on self-acceptance and self-compassion and some of those other really important components, I've seen the symptoms of symptoms of anxiety and depression lessen. And then we can kind of tackle what's left over. So I've really, in this amount of time, learned to just completely flip my approach. Wow, that's amazing. And what is the age range that you generally work with? I mean, typically we would consider somebody an adolescent, like 12 to 18-ish, you know, somewhere around there. Um, And that's about the age range I work with. I do, I have worked with a couple of, like middle school aged students that were maybe like more like 11, um, but mostly uh, in that 12 to 18 range. And then, like I said, I also work with young adult women. So a lot of um, like 18 to 25, maybe even 30 as well. Um, and that's typically the the population that I serve, especially when we're working around this identity development and um, learning not you know, just kind of learning to accept who you are and, and appreciate who you are instead of comparing yourself to everyone else and then determining that you don't measure up and you're not good enough. Yeah. I mean, that can be, at the, I just feel like that's such a huge topic. And I know that it has been in the media recently also, as far as Instagram and social media and all of these things that we now have access to on a daily basis and how it is causing a lot of the identity issues that we're seeing. Plus then you add all the hormones on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it can definitely be a challenge across the board. What do you, what is your thought around where the identity, I wouldn't say crisis, but the identity um, challenge comes from? I mean, I honestly think it stems from everything that we consume, right? Like when it comes to social media, it comes to movies, comes to shows and programs and um, I don't know, magazines, anything in print or, you know, whatever the case might be, Um, because we don't always stop long enough to kind of challenge our thoughts and our beliefs around okay, why do I think this way? Why do I feel like this? And so we have, I mean, so there's so many people trying to live up to this like idealistic portrayal, this idealistic beauty standard or, you know, whatever it is that's being portrayed all over the place. And they don't stop to realize that, you know, that's a very few, right? A very few people. That's like such a small percentage. Um, And it doesn't even necessarily make sense when we stop and we step back and think about, okay, well, why do I think that this is better than something I have? And you couldn't, when I do exercises with my teenagers and I talk to them about what it is that they have trouble accepting and why, when we dive deep enough, it always goes back to, because this is what they've been socialized to believe, right? Or this is what they've seen. And so they're comparing themselves to that. Like, I'm not tall enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not, you know, and when I keep asking the question why, and we keep digging further, they finally uncover the fact that really none of it makes sense. It's only when you're comparing yourself to this idealistic view of what it is that you think you should be. 
Yeah, that can, I mean, I think across the board, it can be hard, especially as a teenager, but then also as an adult, I think that um, the thing that pops in my head for whatever reason, I just think about the supermodel. I, it wasn't like an era, but you know, it was always like you wanted to be the cover girl or mm -hmm. the supermodel. And I feel like society has gotten away from that a little bit more. We celebrate women and their bodies and we have plus size um, models now, which I think is amazing. And so I think as a society, we're trying but I don't know if trying is really helping. <laughs> yeah, I think I no, I definitely agree with you in terms of trying. Right. But then I also think it's going to take a while before that catches up to make any um, to make enough of an impact, you know. Um, and also, I think that it ha has to be more widespread. Because as much as we are trying, there's still this overarching, right, like man-made beauty construct kind of idea that I think still like just kind of, you know, it's still so ingrained <laughs> in our society. True. That is true. Definitely. So what are some of the things that you specifically work with your teens as related? I mean, is there any tips or tricks? Like maybe a parent out there is watching right now and they're like, oh my gosh, that's my kid. What, what is something that you can give if anything right now that might help them? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I would say, if you have a good relationship with your child, you know, help them kind of challenge the validity of what they're seeing online, you know, um, just kind of talk with them about, what they're consuming and, you know, whether or not it makes sense or it's realistic, because again, they don't stop to think, okay, this is one influencer on social media who takes however long to get ready and do their hair and set the scene up. You know, they don't stop to think about all of those things that actually like go into it. Right. And like filters and all that stuff. So just being able to like have those kinds of conversations um, and actually listening, because I know a lot of times we as adults want to jump in and fix, you know, or try to help or, su or support, <clears throat> excuse me. But one of the things my teenagers always tell me is that sometimes they just want somebody to listen. Yeah, I know that definitely I read, um, oh man, now I can't remember what it's called, but uh, that was one of the biggest parts or how to be seven habits of a highly effective person. Mm -hmm. um, but they talked about the listening part, right? Like, I mean, that goes along with a lot of just mental health in general is actively mm -hmm. listening versus wanting to respond. And so understanding and listening can be really challenging. I know as a parent, especially with a teenage daughter, it can be hard because I am also one of those fixers too, right? Like, it's like, oh, I don't want to see my child hurting or feeling this way. And you want to give them advice. But yeah, I always like to say that advice is not always the best thing to do. It's more of finding out what's going on with them versus what's going on with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And even that is, can be, helpful and healing. Like people don't realize how powerful it can be just to kind of hold that space for someone. 
Um, you know, and I know I've heard people call it like giving them that like psychological air, you know, just to be able to kind of get those sort of things out of your head and process them. And sometimes it just that act of being able to explain yourself thoroughly and feeling understood because a lot of times our teenagers are up against challenges that there really isn't a solution to either. You know, there's not like a great solution to some of the problems that that they're dealing with or that they're facing. And so being willing to listen um, at least is one way to help them through, you know, when there's not like, oh, do this one thing and it'll, you know, it'll all get better or, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, definitely. No, I love, I mean, I, I like the conversation, especially centered around identity. I think it's something that we don't talk enough, talk about enough. And it really is that I, when we say identity, right. It's like, who are you? What are you, like you said, consuming? What, what are you actually feeling about yourself? Is it a negative? Is it positive? Right. Cause there could be all sorts of extremes with identity. And so I think that's really cool that a lot of the work that you do with teens specifically is identity related, which ultimately manifests in like depression and anxiety and all these other things that we're giving a pill maybe to fix. Right. But if we get to the cause, then it can actually make a change. Yeah. I mean, because it's so, like I said, this it's funny how I have learned to kind of flip it and look at it that way. But it was after I would see so many adolescents and young adult, you know, young adults. And no matter what they were coming to me for, no matter what the presenting problem was, there was always like this underlying uh, you know, this underlying uh, theme of not liking who they are in some way or another. Yeah. And, and of course, that's going to manifest itself, you know, in negative ways in our life. Um, you know, if we don't love and accept the person we are, we're going to show up a lot differently, you know, in spaces like at school and whatever work or, you know, whatever that looks like for each individual. But yeah, it's definitely going to um, impact us. Yeah, definitely. And I know, um, so shifting just a little yeah. bit, because you and I were talking earlier about how going back to school, I mean, the whole pandemic, kids were out of school for however long. I know at least my son was really only a couple months, thank goodness. We didn't mm -hmm. have to go the whole year. But I know at least with the teenager, she has not ever gone back. I mean, they're still offering virtual um, and I know you had mentioned that there's a lot coming up even around this, that transition back into school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we talk so much about um, this idea of the, the great resignation that, you know, has been happening in terms of adults deciding to leave the workplace or, you know, their place of employment to do something else or to branch out on their own or whatever. And I kind of think that the education system is sort of going through the exact opposite where they're doing this great reintegration, you know, and trying to help ease students back into school after they've been out for so long. Um, I mean, that's really lucky that, you know, your son was only out for a couple of months because I know my son missed his whole kindergarten year. They were all, they were virtual for, you know, pretty much his whole kindergarten year, they only got to go back 
um, at the end, like on a, I don't know, like a split basis. I can't remember how they did it, but it was only a couple of days a week that he got to go back at the end of the school year um, for like the last four weeks or six weeks, something like that. And then when we started out in first grade, you know, everybody was kind of like, what's going to happen? Are we going to, you know, because there was the different, I don't know, different outbreaks and things like that going on still and variants and all that. So I think everyone was still kind of really unsure of what was going to happen and if we were going to open and all that. Um, And then I know like throughout that process, different schools in different places and whatnot, um, some of them did still continue virtual. Some of them offered hybrid, hybrid programs to students. And then for us after, um, the holiday season, um, after their winter break, we had that first week back was virtual because they were worried about folks visiting family and being in large, you know, gatherings and stuff like that. And, um, COVID and all that. So it's been very unsteady in a lot of different ways. You know, it hasn't been the same experience for our students across the board, because I know different education systems have handled it, you know, differently, depending on the the county, the state, wherever, the district. Um, So it's been very unsteady and still kind of feels unsteady to our students. But unlike the adults, what I find is if you have somebody who doesn't love the school experience to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that there are students who enjoy it and students who really do not enjoy it for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always like a negative reflection, you know, on the school or the system or whatever, but, you know, for a variety of reasons, there's always students that do not enjoy school um, and it's not their thing. And so as adults, we have a choice, right? If we want to be involved in this great um resignation. The students don't have that choice. They don't have a choice. This is what you're going to do. This is what you have to do. And so I think also on the other side of that is them getting a taste of, right, what it's like to be virtual, what it's like to go to school from home or to be asynchronous or to have a modified schedule, Um, you know, because even last year, I think we didn't have school on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so there's been lots of modifications to, you know, the way school looks. And for those students, for many of the the clients that I work with who didn't love school to begin with, that was actually a welcome experience. And so Mm -hmm. having to then return and go back into a normal schedule Um, has been really, really difficult because they've gotten a taste of what it is like when they can do that from home and how they would, you know, would much rather do that than actually go into the building. So lots of anxiety at the beginning of the school year I found around going back to school because I would hear students say stuff like, well, for a year, I haven't really had to worry about what I was wearing, you know, like I'm just on Zoom, like who cares? So they kind of felt like they got away from that social pressure a little bit, you know, Um, and another thing that, you know, for some of our students who were in some of those transition grades, like folks that missed like, you know, their whole eighth grade and now they're just jumping right into high school or folks who missed their whole freshman year and now they're going into high school and they feel like freshmen again. So I, I was kind of hearing a lot of um, students, like everyone was kind of saying like, we just feel like kindergartners again, you know, like they really felt like just out of their element because they hadn't been there in a building anymore. But now all of a sudden, you know, they're sophomores or whatever. 
So just lots of, I think, anxiety around what to expect and seeing people after being away for so long and um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it brings up a lot. I don't know in your district or at least in ours, they just took away the masks also. So my son is in first grade too, and they just took away the masks. So now all of a sudden you get to see all your friends' faces. <laughs> and so that's like even another level of these younger, especially like kindergarten, first grade, right? Like they didn't, all of last year, they had to wear masks. So none mm -hmm. of the kids got to see each other's face unless they were outside of school. And then this year it was like the, you could go on the playground without your mask, but you had to come back in and put on your mask and all of these different transitions like you were talking about. And so it is a much different experience. And for me, at least being in the mental health world, like I am curious to see how this plays out as kids get older, right? Like how is this potentially going to affect them negatively or positively. And I think you made a great point of, at least for our teenager, it was better for her and is better for her to be virtual versus being in the school. But she's also doing cosmetology, what she has to be there. So um, that's good because it's more career driven and being her senior year, it's something that helps, but it's still that I don't want to go back to school. Like I would, I would rather do virtual than go back where I feel like kids are mean ultimately was kind of the conversation that we had. So what do you, what do you think will help whether it be like on the teacher aspect or on the teen aspect, like what is, I don't know if there's necessarily a solution, but um, what do you think could potentially help? Well, I, I mean, like you said, there's potentially not a solution, right? And it just depends on what is being offered in terms of educational opportunities and experiences. You know, I mean, it's great that if she wants to continue virtual, she has, you know, that option. Um, and I think that's honestly one of the one of the um, times when really trying to listen, listen to understand rather than respond. Um is going to be helpful, you know, to truly just kind of try to understand what it is they're going through, how it feels to them to have to, you know, to have to go to school, what it is they don't enjoy about it. And then after taking that step back and really trying to figure all of that out and like listen without judgment or without interrupting and, you know, just asking questions if it pertains to, you know, you wanting to know more or understand more, mm -hmm. um, and then you might be able to try to help come up with some ways to ease that. But again, you know, it's one of those situations where you're kind of thrown into school and, you know, you can do what is offered to you, really, you know, unless there's some other special programs or whatever that you can take advantage of. Um, and if that's a good fit, you know, for your kid or not. But um, but yeah, definitely holding that space. And then again, if depending on what they said, maybe there is something that, you know, you can do to work with them on to help ease the transition or to make it a better experience. You know, maybe there's um, a school counselor that you can talk to or somebody that you feel comfortable with in that educational setting, whether, you know, they have a favorite teacher or an administrator or, you know, somebody that you feel connected to in the school. And, and if you don't 
if somebody doesn't come to mind, um, then your school counselor would probably be your first stop. Um, but talking to someone to see if there's something that you can do or work with them on in terms of maybe a more engaging schedule, maybe classes that they might be uh, more interested in or things of that nature. Or maybe there are some special programs that they can get involved with that, that you know, you might not always be sure of. So, yeah, I mean, I love all of those suggestions, too. And I think that um, across the board, schools can be um, a little more aware. I think they're aware of what's going on, right? Like, but we also have this society of like, we need to get them back in school. We need to get back in school. And sometimes, like you were talking about the great resignation, right? Like sometimes that's not the healthiest environment, potentially. Mm -hmm. I don't know, right? Uh, these are just thoughts that are popping in my head. But also, mm -hmm. like, maybe it's a model that in the future, schools can look to be hybrid. I don't know how that would look. I mean, I know mm -hmm. that it's a lot more work for them. Um, but then the other flip side is like the work that you do is really, really important of being able to support and help um, adolescents, right? There are options for them specifically versus mm -hmm. just having to rely on the schools, which I think is really amazing too. So mm -hmm. it's definitely a gray area of, is it the school? Is it the parents? Is it the, the, the adolescents? Like I know that everybody should be involved and mm -hmm. that it's, it's going to be interesting how this all plays out. At least that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And, and in all honesty, it's probably a mix of all three, right? It's probably like, you know, there's just, and that's kind of why it's almost necessary when you're working with adolescents or, you know, children of any age, right? Um, to have that team mentality when it comes to their mental health, because they need to feel supported, you know, um, and, you know, there can be things that we do as adults that we don't even recognize aren't the most helpful. You know, we just aren't even aware. Um, so working all together as a team to be able to be cohesive on their behalf is really important. Yeah, definitely. Um, there was something that popped in my head and it just totally went out. Uh, oh, so <laughs> that was my question. If anybody wants to find you and utilize your services, do you do mainly everything virtual or is it in person or how can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my website is a great place to start, Courtney-Conley.com. Um, and I, I do both. So some of my, <laughs> some of my teenagers are so over virtual that they would rather, you know, be in person and that's fine. Um, and other folks, virtual works great for them. So I do both. And then I also do, um, group courses and coaching in addition to individuals. So depending on varying levels of needs and whatnot, and what folks are going through, um, you know, the, the group opportunity might be, um, a good option. And what I find with the groups is the cohesiveness is, is nice and fun to watch, you know, because you realize you're not the only one that feels that way, you know, and then you're looking at this other person and mind you, my work is mostly with, you know, adolescent females, but you know, you have somebody looking at someone else and they're like, Oh my gosh, I think she's so pretty. And she still feels this way about herself, you know? So it just kind of highlights for, 
them that no, you know, like you're not the only one experiencing this and that cohesiveness of the group and that support of the group, especially during their age, you know, where they move away from parents a little bit more and their peers become important, an important influence. I find that that's often powerful in supporting them as well. And in their, um, you know, journey towards healing is just kind of having that peer interaction around some of these struggles they're having. Yeah, that, I mean, group sounds like it would be really amazing, especially for that age range, just because one, they could probably make friendships there. Mm -hmm. And then two, it is identifying that they're not alone and that just because they feel like one person looks a certain way, they shouldn't feel this way, but showing that it is across the board, right? Like we all have insecurities, insecurities, even as adults and being able to address those concerns at a younger age. Like that's just why I love the work that you do because you address it now versus waiting till it becomes like this big problem. And now they're, they're, having substance abuse issues and all of these other things are manifesting, right? Mm -hmm. So hitting Mm -hmm. it at the initial point where they can grow and develop to really understand, I think is huge Mm -hmm. and important. So, yeah. And, you know, Kelly, you had asked me, what are some things that um, parents can do, right? Or folks who are supporting young people. One of the things um, that kind of popped into my mind as you were two things, actually, as you were just talking, you reminded me when you said adults, right? Because, a lot of adults struggle with the same things. So being really mindful of what it is that you're verbalizing as well, you know, because if you're engaging in negative self-talk and if you're comparing yourself to, you know, to folks and, and doing those kinds of things, you know, that sets the example too. So a lot of times I find like, um, you know, that the, that the adults, don't always feel great about themselves either. You know, so we just want to be careful about that example that we're setting and then using things in the news. Cause you know, this misconception that, okay, if you look a certain way, right, then you probably don't have any problems, mm-hmm. you know, and using things in the news and whatnot um, to, to start those conversations with your kids. Like when Instagram was big in the news around um, creating body image issues for girls, like, Oh my gosh, have you seen this? Did you see this video? Like, what do you think about that? Like, Do you think that happens? Like just using those news pegs to start those conversations um, around those important topics. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, sometimes you, well, not sometimes, but at least I can say for myself as a parent, you look at them and you're like, do we have a conversation about this? Right. Like, but I love that you said have those conversations because Mm -hmm. that's really what's going to get the ball rolling. And if you can showcase something to whomever you're speaking to, whether, excuse me, whether it's your child or it is an adult, at least then you can start just having a general conversation around that Mm -hmm. specific thing, which could lead into so much more. So I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. It's, and we have to be willing to have those conversations. Like I know in the news a little while back too, um, was a former Miss America, was it former Miss America, right? Yeah. Um, that committed suicide. Yeah. And so just, I mean, obviously our, if, if you're on social media and you're connected in the world, you're going to hear about these things anyways. So I would encourage folks not to be afraid to bring them up, but to use them as conversation starters. 
like to ask your kids, have you heard about this? What did you think? How do you feel about this? What do you think about this? Like this caught me really off guard or something like that, you know, just to kind of get a conversation going and to see their thoughts and feelings around it. I think, I mean, it's so important. I talked to my son (laughs) and he's six about, I mean, since my sister completed suicide, we've talked or had that conversation. Right. And it wasn't a conversation that I thought I would ever have with a six-year-old, but he does understand more than I thought he would. And now he goes and tells people, he's like, did you know my mom, she, she died and she killed herself. And a lot of people are like, Whoa, like the six-year-old is saying it. Right. But I haven't told him how that I was like, you know, it, it doesn't matter right now, but Mm -hmm at least having these conversations. And then we've had conversations about gun, gun control, which is something that I never thought I would have to have being Mm -hmm. this young, but it is, I think we assume that they don't understand because of being so young, but really they're absorbing so much through school, through the media, through what they consume, like you were saying. So starting out those conversations early, whether it, feels super uncomfortable to you as a parent or not, I think is really important. Because then they also have the information you want them to have, right? Yeah. I mean, and and like you said, being mindful of what's developmentally appropriate, but, you know, they have drills at school, right? For active shooter and things like that, you know? So it is introduced to them in one way or another. And so shaping that conversation and making sure they have access to the information we want them to have. Right. Because we're probably giving them more accurate information than their friends, you know? Very true. That is very true. (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, I so appreciate you coming on today. I know when we first started talking, I was like, oh my gosh, I love the work you're doing and we're so aligned. And it was just amazing to be able to have you on the show today too. Um, Any last minute tips, tricks, anything you want to throw out there to the audience? Not really. I honestly would just say don't underestimate the power of literally just listening, because if there's one thing that I hear my teenagers tell me over and over and over again, it's that parents don't understand, they don't care or they don't listen. And I've worked with enough parents on the other side of that to know, you know, enough loving parents on the other side of that to know that's not the case. Um, But sometimes when we just react or we just try to jump in with like a solution or something like that, you know, we're really just not giving our kids the space to feel heard. And I find that's really what it boils down to. Um, So don't underestimate that power of just kind of taking a step back and, and listening and not feeling like you have to fix everything because that might not necessarily be why they're coming to you. You know, when you think about even as adults, if we have a problem and, you know, we want to vent to somebody, Even if they're suggesting like valid options to us, sometimes we're just not ready to hear it. You know, we're like, oh, no, that won't work because of this. No, I can't do that because of this. And, you know, (laughs) Um, and once you have a chance to, you know, really kind of process that, maybe you can step back and look at it in a little different way. So don't underestimate the power of like holding that space for your kids. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Mental Health Mondays. Um, I did drop all of Courtney's information below if you want to go check out her website, but I just really appreciate you being my guest today. Thank you so much. Yeah.
All right. Well, that is a, another episode of Mental Health Mondays. Make sure that you like, subscribe, share, tell all your friends. Um, and we will be back next Monday. But just as a reminder, we bring all mental health education and awareness to suicide through all of our media and education. I just said that. See, not about perfection. But we need your help. So become a warrior for mental health today. You get this awesome t-shirt if you donate $20 or more per month. And if you do $45 or more per month, then you actually get a tumbler and a t-shirt. So be sure again to subscribe, like, share, tell all your friends. We do Mental Health Mondays every Monday at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time on our YouTube channel and on the BCC Evolution page. And we talk to those that are either in the professional space of mental health, someone who experiences or lives with a mental health challenge, or mental health advocates. And you can be a guest too. Maybe you're one of those people and you want to be a guest. Send us a message to support at bccevolution.org. Tell us your story and we'll bring you on Mental Health Mondays. But we have amazing guests lined up through April and I'm so excited to share more with you. So don't miss out. Make sure, like, subscribe, comment, share, do it all. And I appreciate you for watching. This was another episode of Mental Health Mondays. Bye, y'all.